Voldemort believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club born back ceaselessly into the past. Professor? Yes, Harry? Do you think we're going to have to go into the lake? Into it? Only if we are very unfortunate. You don't think the Horcrux is at the bottom? Oh, no. I think the Horcrux is in the middle. And Dumbledore pointed toward the misty green light in the center of the lake. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we are moving ever more quickly toward the end here of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. This week we are reading chapters called The Seer Overheard. And to borrow a phrase of Alex's, the ba-ba-ba motherfucking cave. A lot of spelunking in this chapter. Yep, it's just all spelunking. Spelunking is a disgusting word. <laughs> um, have you ever been spelunking? No. I have. I know. It I was... didn't get into anywhere near this much trouble in a cave. You got really dirty. I remember when you went spelunking and you came back and it was with a bunch of friends for a bachelor party of all things and you all came and showered in our house and literally ruined our tub it never got clean it was destroyed by the spelunkers i mean that probably happens in gryffindor tower at the end of this chapter right like spelunking is dirty business it is indeed here more than most places in this podcast and in particular in this and the next couple of episodes you're gonna be hearing heavy spoilers so if you don't already know that snape kills dumbledore Stop listening now. What? (laughs) You will also hear some cursing, probably about the fact that Snape kills Dumbledore. But that doesn't happen in these chapters. Spoiler alert. And some adult themes. This week's adult themes are hiding your empties, A-list romance, boating, boss fights, and the living dead. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Harry and Ginny are officially dating. They are Marauder's Map official. I don't know. They're spending a blissful late spring making love in the green grass outside the Quidditch Stadium. Hermione thinks she's tracked down the identity of the Half-Blood Prince. She believes that it's Eileen Prince, a former Hogwarts student from, like, years and years ago. Harry scoffs at the notion that the Half-Blood Prince could be a woman, and Hermione gives him a stern talking to about his prejudices. I usually agree with Hermione, but Harry's right. This guy writes like a dude. (laughs) But what do I know? That's pretty sexist. Harry gets a note from Dumbledore saying to come to his office ASAP. On the way, he overhears Professor Trelawney shouting and finds her splayed out and disheveled in front of the entrance to the room of requirement with a bunch of empty sherry bottles. Trelawney tells Harry that she was entering the room to try and uh, hide the bottles, but when she entered, there was already somebody inside who was whooping 
Harry suspects that it was Draco and that he finally accomplished whatever he was trying to do in the Room of Requirement. He tells Trelawney that she has to come with him right away to see Dumbledore. Trelawney says that Dumbledore wants fewer visits from her because she keeps drawing the lightning-struck tower from her tarot deck and trying to tell him about it, uh, which she keeps ignoring. And the lightning-struck tower represents forthcoming calamity. Nevertheless, Trelawney ascents to go tell Dumbledore what happened to her in the Room of Requirement. As they're walking together, Trelawney complains about Ferenz and how people look down on her fortune-telling abilities, but that if she really couldn't tell the future, how come Dumbledore hired her? Uh, she recalls her first interview with Dumbledore at the Hogshead Inn, which also has bedbugs. Gross. Harry, of course, knows that this is when Trelawney gave the famous prophecy about him, even though Trelawney wasn't aware of it at the time, she reveals that the person who interrupted them was Bup-Bup-Bup motherfucking Severus Snape, who had been eavesdropping. Trelawney thinks it was to get tips for his interview to work at Hogwarts, but Harry knows that Snape is the person who took news of the prophecy and delivered it to Lord Voldemort. So Harry is floored. He tells Trelawney to stay put and heads to Dumbledore to confront him by himself. When he arrives, Dumbledore tells Harry that he's found a Horcrux and they're going out together to retrieve it. But Dumbledore can tell that something is bothering Harry. He says what's wrong. Harry's like, what the fuck, dude? Snape was the one that sent Voldemort after my parents? Dumbledore says, yeah, but, you know, Snape felt super bad about it and <laughs> couldn't have known that it was going to be your parents that Voldemort decided to go after. Harry is not super satisfied with this explanation, although he does tell Dumbledore that he thinks that Snape and Malfoy are going to strike tonight because of what he heard in the Room of Requirement. He thinks that Malfoy's plans have come to fruition, and he asks Dumbledore if he's done anything to protect the school while he's gone. Dumbledore says, Please do not suggest that I do not take the safety of my students seriously, Harry. So, big LOL. Uh, nevertheless, Harry really wants to go on the Horcrux mission, so he lets the matter drop. However, while he is going back to Gryffindor Tower to fetch his invisibility cloak, which Dumbledore wants him to take, he gives Ron and Hermione the Felix Felicius, tells them that he thinks that some shit is going to go down at the school tonight and that they should take a few drops and summon the DA, Dumbledore's army, with the old galleons that Hermione passed out and tell them to be on alert. Harry heads back to Dumbledore's office. He's like, listen, if we're going to do this, you have to obey everything I say. You have to follow every instruction I give you. Can you do that? Harry Potter who is known for his ability to follow directions, if nothing else, swears <laughs> swears that he will stick to Dumbledore's instructions. They head off to Hogsmeade and apparate from Madame Rosemertes so that people think that Dumbledore is just going out for a drink. And they, and they rematerialize on the seashore near the cave that Tom Riddle tormented two of his classmates at during one of their school vacations. From the orphanage, not yeah. Hogwarts. Yeah, from the orphanage. Uh, the fucked up orphanage cave from Tom Riddle's early childhood. They like appear on... There's some way that you could only get by magic, which is, I, I guess, 
Tom Riddle had, like, teleported these kids or somehow to the entrance of this cave. It's really inaccessible, unless you're, like, into extreme sports. But Dumbledore and Harry then... This seems really dangerous to me. They swim into the cave in, like, the middle of the night, and the water is, like, churning around, and they don't seem to be using any magic, and it's really fucking cold. So far, this is a, this is a typical Dumbledore operation so far. Just kind of rushing into it. Uh, anyway, they get inside the cave, and frankly, shit is about to go down. We are reaching the climax of the climax of these books, and I don't think Hall of the Mountain King is appropriate for the rest of this chapter. We have to switch over to something new. So here we go. They slip through a cursed door by sprinkling it with Dumbledore. Dumbledore is not impressed, says Voldemort, so lazy bastard. So far it's a piece of cake, they come up on a spooky lake. Harry tries the obvious by saying, I see your horcrux. Did you see that? Something's stirring in the gloom. Never mind that, here's a secret ghost canoe. Should we board it? Seems like just the thing to do. Spectral boat trip, floating out into a corpse-filled lake toward a green light on an island that surely is the... Baba motherfucking horcrux, motherfucking horcrux, sitting in a glowing pool of nightmare fuel. Oh shit, they can't touch the horcrux, they can't touch the horcrux. Let's I play a fucked up drinking game. Flip cup, playing cursed, flip cup, playing cursed, flip cup. Till Dumbledore is shrieking to the night and saying, Kill me, motherfucking kill me, Harry fucking kill me. Good luck working this out in therapy. Once the basin is all drained, Albus collapses from the pain. Finally, he does croak out that he could really use a chaser. Harry siphons from the pool, which Dumbledore said not to do. Big mistake, big mistake, he feels a hand grabbing his wrist. Oh shit, it's... Papa motherfucking zombies, also known as Inferi. They were foreshadowed back in chapter 3, and now they're running from the zombies, from the fucking zombies, in their fucking zombie boat, of course, and shit, shit, all the fucking zombies, all the fucking zombies, Expelliarmus won't work here, so Dumbledore shoots them with fire, motherfucking fire, which Harry should have thought of, honestly. But they escape. And it's all good. Harry and Dumbledore jump back into the freezing water. Harry supporting Dumbledore. He says, don't worry, Professor. Dumbledore says, I'm not worried because I'm with you. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. That was from Orpheus in the Underworld. Yeah. So... On theme. It turns out the can-can music is, like, from an opera. Yeah. Which I But it's like a know. comic opera. I mean, he's in hell in this. <laughs> Isn't it called, like, Gallop Through Hell? It's the Infernal Gallop. The Infernal from Gallop. Orpheus in the Underworld by Jacques Offenbach, which is just a great name. ba 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 It makes me <laughs> think of um, Moulin Rouge. Don't they kind of sing along to part of it? Yes, in Moulin? Yeah, I think they so. Do. I haven't mm-hmm. seen Moulin Rouge in a long time. It's been a while. Nothing is ever going to be better as a use for that song than what you just did, though. So congratulations I'm on pleased. peak Offenbach. Thank you, Jacques Offenbach. Um, I don't often listen to Bach, but when I do, it's Offenbach. No, there's a better joke there's there. There's not there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't often Bach. So it feels weird to switch gears this extremely, considering how exciting these chapters get. But can we briefly talk about whether we think Ginny and Harry are boning? 
The fact that Harry Potter was going out with Ginny Weasley seemed to interest a great number of people, most of them girls. Yet Harry found himself newly and happily impervious to gossip over the next few weeks. After all, it made a very nice change to be talked about because of something that was making him happier than he could remember being for a very long time, rather than because he had been involved in horrific scenes of dark magic. You'd think people had better things to gossip about said Ginny as she sat on the common room floor, leaning against Harry's legs and reading the Daily Prophet. Three Dementor attacks in a week, and all Romilda Vane does is ask me if it's true you've got a hippogriff tattooed across your chest. Ron and Hermione both roared with laughter. Harry ignored them. What did you tell her? I told her it's a Hungarian horntail, said Ginny, turning a page of the newspaper idly. Much more macho. Well, there's all these kind of sassy references to... Like spending a blissful afternoon by the lake, but I mean... And then Snape is, Snape is like, mocking Harry and saying, like, oh, it's really nice weather outside. Uh, but they're not imagine, fucking outside. Imagine what opportunities there are. They're just macking. Although yeah. there is this part also where Romilda Vane thinks that Harry has a tattoo on his chest and Ginny like makes a joke about telling her that it's actually a Hungarian horn tail tattoo. So it's like, they're at least shirts off. I like that. <laughs> right? At minimum, no shirts. They're getting the second hoop or whatever. <laughs> metaphor is. I think we've, I'm sure we've made this joke. I don't know. Any sex in these books has to exist in this weird, like off, off page. This like, it's like Schrodinger's hookup, right? Like, <laughs> sex like doesn't, doesn't exist in these books because they're middle grade. So True I don't know. It's a story. weird, they're, it's a weird they're thing. They're YA you at this point. This is not a middle grade okay. book. It's a weird thing you have to write around though. It is. Because teenagers. They're up to something. Not, not always celibate. No. I think Harry and Ginny have sex before the end of these books. I think they have done it. Is that the your time. headcanon? My, I mean, I just, I don't think that's headcanon. Oh, ew. Oh, yeah, that's gross. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's headcanon. I think that's just like, that seems accurate. Where would you put it in the timeline? I think they probably haven't boned yet where we are in these chapters. And they probably do by the beginning of the next book. That feels right to me. Yeah. It's still pretty new in the relationship. And that their first, well, it's not Ginny's first relationship. It's Harry's first real one. Right. Because he just had that weird thing. But Ginny is great, is all I really want to say. She's super funny. She's supportive, but not simpering. She's hot. She's fun. She, like, lets him kind of do his own thing, and she kind of does her own thing. But they like to be around each other. They're good for each other. This is the last good thing that happens to Harry Potter. It's actually really sad when he's, like, the thing that was making him happier than he could kind of ever remember being. And it's like, oh, he's had a really hard life. And it's nice that he has a nice girlfriend, but shit's about to get so bad again. it goes down immediately. Harry has, like, six weeks of it being kind of nice. This is why Harry can't have nice things. It is. Well, Voldemort's why Harry can't have nice things. It's true. Alas. Ginny's amazing. Professor Trelawney needs some serious assistance. I don't understand why Trelawney can't just vanish her empties. Why does she need the room of requirements? Needing to hide them doesn't... Because isn't the point that you're hiding something that you want to come and get later? She's a full-ass grown witch. She should just be able to vanish them. Surely she can afford more cooking sherry. She might be bad at actual magic. Yeah, that was sort of my thought. She might be... 
almost squibby in her non-divination skills. I don't think we've ever seen her do any other magic. No. So I wouldn't surprise me if she is not great at like a simple vanishing charm. Poor Trelawney. But her drinking problem is really out of control. And it's like threatening her job. Yeah. Because she gets wasted and yells at her boss. She gets wasted and like speciesist. Yeah. Just getting drunk and shouting about horses. That's all I really have to say about her. I mean, obviously the revelation that she shares is really important, but just a plug for maybe Trelawney and Hagrid can find an AA group and attend together. Wizards Anonymous. At this point, Alchemist Anonymous. (laughs) There's definitely enough people in the, there's enough people in Hogwarts to begin with on Hogwarts staff to, uh, to, to the room of requirement should just be a church basement one day a week. Yeah. With like shitty coffee and people telling their stories because there are a lot of people with drinking problems at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Kind of including the headmaster. A little bit. He but seems, he he seems I mean, he has the worst drinking problem you could have in this chapter. <laughs> chapters, you know. uh, it's, it's darkly true. ironic that Dumbledore's downfall is beverages, which he loves so much. Oh, he does. They're That's not like, his actual downfall. The one thing I love is turned against me. At least it's Bevs. not a lemon drop. He That's has true. to eat a fuck ton of poison Poison candy. lemon drops, yeah. He's just like, no, sugar uh, quills. Why have you betrayed me? At two beverage. <laughs> so let's turn to the fucked up parts of this chapter, of which there are it's ni- it's many. It's 90% fucked up. Professor Snape made a terrible... Don't tell me it was a mistake, sir. He was listening at the door. Please let me finish. Dumbledore waited until Harry had nodded curtly, then went on. Professor Snape made a terrible mistake. He was still in Lord Voldemort's employ on the night he heard the first half of Professor Trelawney's prophecy. Naturally, he hastened to tell his master what he had heard for it concerned his master most deeply. But he did not know, he had no possible way of knowing, which boy Voldemort would hunt from then onward, or that the parents he would destroy in his murderous quest were people that Professor Snape knew, that they were your mother and father. Harry let out a yell of mirthless laughter. He hated my dad like he hated Sirius. Haven't you noticed, Professor, how the people Snape hates tend to end up dead? You have no idea of the remorse Professor Snape felt when he realized how Lord Voldemort had interpreted the prophecy, Harry. I believe it to be the greatest regret of his life and the reason that he returned. I had forgotten this Snape revelation, which it's like a pretty key thing to forget, but it's genuinely shocking that he's the one that turned over the information about the prophecy to Voldemort, like the half prophecy. Like that is so fucked up, supremely. It is, we're really getting into the territory where our two long time, long term red herrings are coming into their own as actually the bad guys. Yeah. Malfoy and Snape are getting more and more supremely fucked up. And throughout the book, It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, Snape's a bastard, he's really rude, he's not a good guy, he's not pleasant, but he's never the one. Right. But this is pretty chilling evidence of his misdeeds and 
a time at which he was deeply and completely loyal to the dark side. Yeah. Snape hasn't always been a double agent. And this is a good reminder. I mean, it's that- the first like truly bad thing that we've had that Snape that we've heard of Snape doing that is confirmed. Right. And it's always all this like gray stuff. It's always all this gray stuff where Dumbledore is always saying, you know, there was a reason for this and I trust him and blah, blah, blah. And Harry's like, this thing is just vicious and bad and it ruined everybody's life. How can you possibly ask me to be forgiving of this? And Dumbledore doesn't have a good answer here. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of, it's really unsatisfying. He basically says, trust me, Snape, Snape feels real bad. Nobody regrets this more than Snape. And Harry's which like, which is, I mean, true. But I don't know. Harry probably regrets it more than Snape does. Yeah, I know. I mean, in Dumbledore's defense, they don't super have time to go over it at also, this point. What is Dumbledore going to say? Dumbledore can't tell Harry the truth, which right. is Snape is in such deep cover that he's about to kill me to prove his loyalty. We've had this fucked up death pact for our entire relationship. He is going to commit the ultimate act of violence but it's cool harry can't hear that right dumbledore can't tell harry that so as a result dumbledore has the same mealy mouth excuses for snape that we've been hearing all along and if i were harry i would be so pissed i completely understand his reaction it's kind of shocking that harry hasn't found out until now if trelawney just knew this information and randomly drops it into like just a casual conversation. He doesn't ever talk to Trelawney. I know. Where would he have found this Trelawney out? Trelawney likes to tell people stuff. Trelawney's not like... That's true. This would be a bigger piece of gossip because she tells everybody all her business. Yeah. That's I don't true. Know. Although, I don't know. Is, Often she's just kind of spouting off about... Well, nobody... Harry, Dumbledore, stuff. Snape, and the Death Eaters are the only people who know the significance of Trelawney's school interview. That's true. So Trelawney could tell this story a hundred times and nobody would find it to be a significant story. All right, fair enough. You have to know a really specific detail about Trelawney's interview with Dumbledore to know that there's any big reveal there. No, I feel like this is something that Dumbledore has hid pretty closely. Because Dumbledore said somebody overheard. Dumbledore very carefully alighted who that was. Yeah. Because Harry is already very reasonably predisposed to hate Severus Snape. So I do want to talk about what does this tell us about Snape as a character? Because Snape is complicated because, I mean, God, that's such a fucking stupid statement about Harry Potter. Snape is complicated. (laughs) But let's get into that a little bit. Harry says that in the god-awful aftermath epilogue thing, Harry says that Snape is one of the bravest men he ever knew. And I don't take issue with that. I think Snape is very, very brave. But this says to me that Snape isn't on Dumbledore's side for moral or ethical reasons. It's a personal vendetta mission that happens to align itself more with Dumbledore than with Voldemort at this point in time. I don't think Snape is a moral person. I mean, the first thing he does when he hears about this baby being born is go tell Voldemort about it, who is, if you know anything about Voldemort, clearly going to go kill a baby. Right. Like, he had no, Snape had no problem with a baby being murdered. Snape had no problem with Harry being murdered. Or James. Snape would definitely have rather Harry be murdered than Lily, despite the fact that Harry was an innocent baby. Yeah. So Snape's whole arc 
that for some reason I'm supposed to understand as sympathetic is the only thing I believe is that I have a right to have this woman love me. There's no higher thinking about joining the side that's right after this devastation happens in his personal life. He doesn't continue, he hadn't continued to pursue her though, had he? No, but he has remained obsessed with her. Right. But he I mean, thinks he has a of... right to her in some way. Yeah. No, I think that makes like, sense. Like he, I guess he hasn't, well, okay, so he stops actively pursuing her and instead becomes an evil henchman. So like, he's not making a very wise and kind of self effacing choice to let her be with the man who makes her happy and then just live his life he's like oh you're gonna marry james potter awesome i'm gonna become voldemort's friend (laughs) and people like lily are number one on voldemort's hit list right and joining the joining the death eaters is de facto saying that lily potter deserves to die basically it's also saying that everybody lily potter loves deserves to die which is worse to me it's like Snape doesn't think that anything that Lily cares about matters. I mean, and we're going to have plenty of chances to, like, chew over this. I guess his choice to live a life of trying to atone for this act of evil is a little bit redemptive. Is it atonement or is it vengeance? Those are really different emotions. Does he want to bring Voldemort down ultimately because Voldemort killed Lily? Or does he want to make up for being on the side that killed Lily by acting morally. I I think those are really, really, really different decisions. And to me, it's more vengeance. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to meditate on this. I think that's also going to change as we get through the later chapters of the next book, obviously. We'll learn a lot more about this. But I just keep not feeling like any of this is painting Snape in the kind of light that most of the Harry Potter fandom seems to paint him in. I don't really understand the Snape arc. I mean, it is... In a way that a lot of the rest of As you say, complicated because no Snape, no final victory. No, that's the thing. That's why I would never dispute that he's brave. Snape does the thing. Yeah. But I just, I think his intentions matter a lot in terms of how we understand him as a character. Snape as a part of the plot, yeah, does a great job, super effective saves the world basically i get that i think his motivations matter i do it's like what we talked about last week with dumbledore do his motivations matter in the sort of grand scheme of saving the world and i i just i think yes books are character driven you know we read literature to understand characters and if it was just plot and sort of a to b and the point is just killed voldemort fine snape does a great job but what he is about and what he means and how he behaves are like a major part of why we read. Well, this is a reprehensible act. Deeply so. And it's really unfair to underplay Harry's super, super earned mistrust of Snape. The extent to which Dumbledore gets mad at Harry for continuing to bring this up pisses me off. You have to understand that Harry has every right and reason to feel this way. And it's really gaslighty to be like, I trust Snape and you should just believe me. Because Harry's like, a lot of shit has gone down when I've been te- like when I've been listening to you tell me everything's going to be fine. That's never been true, buddy. <laughs> You've never been right about that. And he's not right now. No. So 
him not being right is uh, a good segue into Dumbledore's truly shocking claim that he cares about the safety of children at Hogwarts and that Harry should never question Dumbledore's protection of the school and all its students. Yeah, Washington Post would give that claim for Pinocchios or whatever the fuck their little metric is. For Dobby's. No, who's a liar in Dobby's these books? Dobby's not a liar. How dare you no. besmirch the name of Dobby? <laughs> That's four Mundungus Fletchers. There you go. He gets The Daily Prophet would rate that four Munduguses. While Dumbledore is saying that, he is simultaneously actually plotting his own assassination. <laughs> Dumbledore is re- actually playing 12-dimensional wizard chess here. Yes. This is a wild moment when he's like, it's protected. Also, though... Malfoy just fixed the vanishing cabinet. I know that, and I know a bunch of Death Eaters are on their way in, but don't worry, everybody's safe. <laughs> it's bullshit. <laughs> right. I mean, if Harry doesn't pass out the Felix Felicis to the DA, like, shit probably would have been way worse. Yeah, Harry has Is a- Dumbledore just banking that Harry will just- like, go rogue and take precautions? I actually think Dumbledore is always banking on Harry going rogue. Oh my god. In a way that, that is, a terrible is strategy. really, yeah, it's, it's a really... <laughs> I mean, I guess McGonagall's around, she's like... McGonagall never does anything. I love McGonagall, but she doesn't do shit. <laughs> ever. We never see her. She goes down in a duel with the uh, Ministry Wizards in chapter five, in uh, book five. That's true. But overall, when shit goes down... McGonagall is not the figure that is usually kind of showing up first. And she kicks ass and takes names in the Battle of Hogwarts. Well, obviously, they all do. Right. She has no choice in that scene. McGonagall has not proven herself to be a frontline fighter yet. (laughs) So Harry giving them the Felix Felicis and kind of giving them these orders is so clutch and smart and such quick thinking. I love that Harry's just hedging always. Dude. He has a very useful amount of paranoia at this point. He does. And a really smart way of assembling the few people who he trusts and is just like, look, I don't know what's going on, but it's fucking something. Please deal with it. I have to go on this crazy journey. Good thing we formed a student militia in book five. I mean, seriously, I do good like, thing. I do like the, we gotta reassemble the Avengers moment. <laughs> I like it too. Everyone send up the the bat signal or whatever. I'm mixing my DC and Marvel. Really, this does end up making a big difference, doesn't it? I think so. Well, I mean, not to the... I frankly don't remember. We're going to find out next episode. Not to the ultimate outcome. Yeah. But that's the thing that's supposed to happen. Like, Dumbledore is supposed to die. Yes. And I don't think that stopping it would actually be. It prevents collateral damage. It does. I think it does. But I don't remember the exact scene. So you're right. We'll get there. We're going to find out. It's, uh,. I'm surprised I don't remember that chapter better since it's like the chapter. Well, I remember the moment. Right. I don't remember any of the things that happen around it. It's going to be fucked up. This is a good segue into what we want to talk about next, which is obviously this fucking cave. I genuinely did not expect to have a lot of feelings about Dumbledore's death, which I don't know, maybe says a lot about how I've been experiencing these books this time around. But she does this phenomenal job planting this chapter right before his death it's incredibly humanizing it's like deepening the relationship hits this whole new level harry and dumbledore have this comradeship almost and And, yeah you're kind of thinking and you're like 
they're gonna like take out the Horcruxes. Exactly. This is, this like- is gonna become a buddy comedy. <laughs> I mean, not really, but this is the first real humanizing of Dumbledore we get. And it's so clever and so brutal to put it right before his death. Yeah. Because he's been this character that's completely out of reach to us emotionally. And then we get to see him real, you know? He's frightened and he's vulnerable and he's very present and he talks to Harry like an equal. And I'm realizing as I'm reading this chapter, like, fuck, I'm going to be sad when Dumbledore dies. So let's talk about this goddamn cave jumping mission why do they have to go so fucking fast Dumbledore just sends them a note Harry doesn't have any time to prep for this incredibly dangerous excursion you know it's just like a fucking Friday night or whatever Harry's like get in loser we're going Horcrux shopping so I actually have a theory about that because you're right it's so sudden and abrupt he can't even say goodbye to Ginny I know which he is which he sorely regrets as he's facing down an inferior army. As well he should regret. But here's the thing. Every time Dumbledore gets close to one of these things or figures out where it is, the likelihood that Voldemort will figure out what's going on increases. So I yeah, actually do point. understand the urgency because it seems like the magic that was there protecting the cave is so strong and so personal that it feels pretty high likelihood that Voldemort is going to start to notice, I don't know, for lack of better term, like disturbances in the force. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah, doesn't it feel like sense. Voldemort is going to start to feel this happening? So mm-hmm. Dumbledore just needs to act really, really quickly when he knows where these things are so that he doesn't give Voldemort any time to thwart him, basically. I think they're against a clock. I really... That does make sense to me. Yeah. All right. The one thing I have a question about is why doesn't Voldemort have anyone trailing Dumbledore? Well, he's got Snape. Keeping an eye on Dumbledore. Oh, I guess that's true. That's what Snape's whole deal is. Uh, okay, so thanks, Snape, for like actually being a pretty good double agent here. I, yeah, I don't know. Voldemort, he's so arrogant about the Horcruxes that I, I, he sort of assumes like, no one will figure out his game. But also at the same time, he clearly super wants people to find the Horcruxes because he's created this elaborate... Legend of Zelda dungeon outside this, like, seaside community. Yeah, uh, let's talk about this. Which, you know, I mean, there's, like, he didn't just, like, seal it up. There's this whole obstacle course that you have to to go through. Uh, because the way Dumbledore rationalizes it is he says Voldemort really wants to meet whatever wizard can, like, solve his funhouse. But, but I, I don't know. I mean, this was kind of the same question I had with the Sorcerer's Stone. Was, like, why make these beatable at all if you want to protect something from being reached just make it unreachable not just very very difficult to reach unless you're very good at magic i don't understand why and i guess well it's a trap yeah it's a he wants to trap like a wizard badass i guess but does he really want that more than he wants to protect shards of his own soul yeah i don't know it's very super villainy in that it's sort of the question becomes why does this exist at all? Just he's showing, make this, he's showing off, right? He's signing his crime, right? But just make it unreachable. So there's no way to make it totally unreachable, but this seems a little ostentatious. It's ostentatiously the be- there's and a the, 
There's a boat. Uh, yeah, the boat. What? Like, why the why fuck is, is the there boat a there? boat? I guess so Voldemort could reach it in Voldemort case he wanted to go can visit it. fly. Oh, yeah. What? Voldemort doesn't need to take the boat. Why Dude did can he, fly. Why did he leave a why boat? Why is there a boat in there? It's the <laughs> thing. And it only makes sense in a video game. It's like, it's one of those things where there doesn't need to be a series of puzzles and bosses and <laughs> obstacles to get to this thing if the point is just yeah. nobody can get to this thing. Yeah, well, Bowser, your first mistake was putting a switch that turns the drawbridge off that will drop you into lava. Shouldn't have done that. It's a uh, design flaw. Precisely. <laughs> so... I don't understand. I guess, sure, Dumbledore gives what I find kind of a weak explanation of Voldemort is really curious to see if anybody can get to this. But couldn't it's a Voldemorty thing, though. But he, couldn't he play that game with something slightly less valuable than his soul? He's got seven Horcruxes, so that's he can, true. A couple okay. are for laughs, and a couple are uh, for traps. Yeah, you know. It's just it's so wild, and it's really one's extra. in a diary that talks to you. That's true, but the diary is supposed to immediately kill the person that it, or not immediately, but the diary is supposed to successfully dispose of the person that it. Yeah, I don't um, know. What's it called? <laughs> what is that? Possesses. Possesses. Yeah. This is the boat. Very good, J.K. Rowling extraness, though. I have to say, this cave scene is extremely fun and scary. It's quite frightening. Yeah. The spooky boat. Well. Maybe a mistake for Voldemort to put it there. Pretty damn atmospheric. Oh, it's excellent. And the writing here is really fun and exciting and lively. And the theatricality of it is excellent. Dumbledore cutting himself to get in with the blood to get inside. I do like when Dumbledore's kind of has to say, this is a little mawkish. Like, what? (laughs) Also... Dude, magic people can heal themselves instantly. I know. This is nothing. But it's ah. it's it's symbolic. Right. But it's very crudely symbolic in a way that I like Dumbledore has the kind of erudition to identify. Yeah, he's like, not your finest work, it's Tom. Like, this is a little silly. This is early riddle. Yeah. When did Voldemort make this weird cave puzzle? I think it's in that sort of early? ten years okay. when he vanishes, right? Because he splits his soul before he emerges as totally powerful all the way Voldemort. The Mm. Horcrux journey is between when Dumbledore sees him at Hogwarts and when he kind of emerges as Lord Voldemort in full power. So why do you think the cave is so important to him? Yeah, that's a good question. It feels like places that have resonance with his personal history and his personal history with magic yeah maybe this really was a place where you really first figured out how to use it yeah when it he was uh, seems frightening like those kids a place where he developed kind of an early version of his dark magic skills and it seems like sort of an inherently magical place yeah like it seems like there's some latent dark magic kind of floating around it's that true. maybe he took advantage of i don't know like, he was drawn there by something all those years ago, it seems like. Yeah, there's something sort of deep in the... Something not right with this cave. Yeah, it's a fucked up cave. This cave is off. <laughs> um, Another question. What does this potion do, do you think? It seems like Dementor juice. I don't know if Dumbledore is being forced to relive his worst memories or if it's creating, like, visions or hallucinations of bad things... That could potentially happen. Because he says, don't kill them, kill me. 
He's seeing someone hurting. He's seeing, and I wonder if it's, to me it felt like it was tormenting him with his own worst actions. Mm. Like it is a potion that reminds you of your worst self and sort of makes you see yourself as the most evil version of you, which seems very Voldemort to me. Oh, that to kind would be of remind people. I hear it because I am imagining some of the stuff that we learn about from Dumbledore's early life is what he's seeing, like with his sister yeah. and stuff. And he blames himself for that stuff. So I think it's blame yourself juice. But it also makes him really thirsty. So he's doing double duty in an interesting way. So they just should have brought some like water and snacks. That's the first thing you do on a I hiking know. trip. Boy Scout it up, guys. You know? Just Come on. Be bring prepared. Supplies. Yeah. Yes, uh, be prepared. Dumbledore doesn't have bevs and snacks just on him. He's probably just got candy. Yeah. Which is a mistake. Also He always wait. has chocolate. Harry maybe should have just waited till they were out of the cave. No, but that was the whole point, is that it was torture for Harry to experience Dumbledore's thirst. I get why he did that. Dude, this is a fucked up moment. It's so, so scary. Harry's, when Dumbledore says, all right, put you through a lot of shit up to this point, Harry. Now you have to torture me. Yeah. It's, um, it actually reminds me of what Dumbledore makes Snape do. Mm -hmm. You know, he sort of bonds people to him and then their punishment, he makes Snape kill him. Which is horrifying if you're Snape, I imagine. Yeah. This is a deeply unfair thing to do to a person. And I, I'm i not at a place where I'm blaming Dumbledore because Dumbledore is in an impossible situation, especially when it comes to Snape. But God, he asks a lot of people. It, and what he asks of people most is to love him and then hurt him, which is a really interesting character trait and sort of follows Dumbledore throughout his life. In his defense... He didn't know this potion would be there, and he didn't know what it would do. No, but he knew that he was probably going to have to ask Harry to witness Dumbledore in extreme pain. That makes sense. He warns Harry of that. He's Man. He basically says, if I tell you, like, let me die and you go, you have to do it. So he knows that one of the most likely things that's going to happen to Harry is that Harry's going to see Dumbledore get his shit wrecked and have to get out of there anyway. Anyway, that's about to happen either way, which Dumbledore knows, so... Whatever. Um, Dumbledore's also actually the most YOLO right now. Yeah. Because he's about to die, which is a really interesting psychological space to be occupying, I'm sure. He talks about it on their journey over the lake, which is, that's symbolic as hell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're basically on the river sticks. But he, you know, he talks about death and darkness and... Says some pretty profound things, and not even just sort of eye rolly, JK rolling, pseudo profound stuff. There are bodies in here, said Harry, and his voice sounded much higher than usual and most unlike his own. Yes, said Dumbledore placidly, but we do not need to worry about them at the moment. At the moment, Harry repeated, tearing his gaze from the water to look at Dumbledore. Not while they are merely drifting peacefully below us, said Dumbledore. There is nothing to be feared from a body, Harry, any more than there is anything to be feared from the darkness. Lord Voldemort, who of course secretly fears both, disagrees. But once again he reveals his own lack of wisdom. It is the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness. Nothing more. 
his message that there's nothing inherently scary about death is actually deeply resonant. And one of the smartest J.K. Rowling talking through Dumbledore points, I think, that gets made in these books. Because Voldemort, this is kind of a fatal flaw of a lot of supervillains, is they think that the unknown is is bad and scary and anything they can't control is something that they're deeply afraid of. And Dumbledore is like, there's nothing to fear about a lack of control. It's very zen. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, death is just something that happens. It's inevitable. It's universal. Nothing about a dead body is scary except the sort of existential terror of understanding that that'll be you someday. But if you can kind of become one with that feeling you've overcome most of what there is to be scared of as a person. Yeah, it's an intense moment. And of course, Voldemort has... It's interesting when Dumbledore says that Voldemort is using all these things as weapons that he's truly, like, repulsed and terrified of. He's littered this cave with... His own worst fears. With, like, corpses. Right. Because To try to, like, gain some kind of power over them, but he doesn't have power over it. No. I mean, like, has, like... He can literally make them attack Harry and Dumbledore, but he hasn't erased the fact of death. Right, and he doesn't ultimately have power over death. He has gotten as close as anyone gets, but his fear of dying has kind of erased him in all of these really important ways. This is much more interesting to me than the power of love bullshit. Voldemort's relationship with death is a way better, deeper, more interesting well to drink from than the power of love yeah i would say i think so it brings me kind of brings me back to sorcerer's stone when he's drinking the unicorn blood and Ferenz tells him that yeah it'll keep you alive and you can postpone death but you'll live this cursed half life so and it's voldemort's miserable right it's really hard for people to understand for people who don't have Voldemort's warped soul to understand why anybody would live like this like to Slughorn's credit one of the reasons that he doesn't think it's bad initially to tell Voldemort about Horcruxes is he's like why would anybody do this yeah and he makes it really clear to him this would not be a life worth living so it doesn't I'm not worried about you doing it because I think you're smart enough to know that it wouldn't be worthwhile to be alive through a Horcrux but Voldemort can't hear any of that And right, there doesn't seem to be anything fulfilling or meaningful about Voldemort's life. It's just about prolonging it inevitably, or it's just about prolonging it indefinitely, which is a really, I mean, it's a fruitless human quest. Yeah. Reminds me of fucking Peter Thiel trying to put baby's blood into his veins. He would make a horcrux. And it's just like, absolutely. is that worth it, buddy? A cheeky Silicon Valley executive would probably start a company, a life extension company and call it horcrux. And think that that was funny, and it's it was not like really funny. Clever, and be like, no, dude, it's that's just actually like, really dark. Yeah, the blood transfusion company, which I think has come under, they, they call themselves Ambrosia. Ew. The like life extension will inject you with young person blood to help you live longer, which is not really backed by science, but no, nor are Horcruxes. Just as a <laughs> heads up for all our tech listeners, do not try this at home. So. Yeah, Dumbledore's death is heavily foreshadowed. Oh, uh, yeah. We should see it coming. Especially because Dumbledore says this thing toward the end of the journey where he tells Harry, Voldemort did a really good job. 
nobody could have done this alone. It's just very clearly foreshadowing that Harry is going to have to do it alone from here on out. Dumbledore wouldn't have had to say that if there wasn't an imminent need for Harry to go it alone. Also some nice Joseph Campbell style hero's journey imagery here. The journey to the underworld is one of those way stations in world mythology and uh, i think this is a bit of a stand-in for that it's not the literal underworld but it's a underworld filled with corpses yeah i think it can pretty well stand for the underworld yeah i think the other possibility in harry potter would be harry's weird trip to king's cross limbo in book seven but this feels when he walks to his actual Death That's true. In the forest. But this also feels like a voyage. Harry to the goes to the underworld a bunch because JK is extra as hell. And every <laughs> man with a thousand faces trope is in this book like four times. Yeah, well. She uses, she sort of cycles through them a fair amount. Makes it damn satisfying. Oh, it does. It makes it really fun to identify the little, is it a mythine? Something like that. Yeah. Like, like a, a little meme, basically. So. Of mythology i guess the hero usually goes to the underworld for some kind of tool or knowledge uh like odysseus i think has to get he has to talk to like a dead prophet or something and then return and i don't remember why aeneas has to go to the underworld some fucking trojan bullshit what's harry learning in the underworld what's what tools is he coming back with i guess he's learning that dumbledore is mortal yeah that's true in an interesting way. I mean, Harry's like familiar with mortality, but Dumbledore's sort of the last. He is the last holdout that Harry doesn't all the way think he can lose, which yeah. sucks because he's about to lose him. So this is also a really good lesson in everything bad can happen. <laughs> That's Harry's main message throughout these books. You thought it was too bad to happen to you? Congratulations, here it is. Oh, yeah, that's true. I think we should get into... One of the most famous lines in the series, which occurs here, which is Dumbledore saying, I am with you. I remember the first time I read this book, I totally rolled my eyes at that part, which maybe that makes me a monster because a lot of people love this part. I appreciated it much more on this read through. I thought it was uh, a nice moment. It has sort of a passing the mantle feel. Right. And this is Dumbledore's gift. This is actually the knowledge that Harry is leaving with, even if he doesn't like recognize it right away is is that he has what it takes that he can do this right you know that dumbledore is a great wizard but a fucking guy you know right a a fucking person like anyone yeah and that he can bleed and feel pain and he's not always up for it it is a gift but it's a gift and a curse it's a benediction yeah like everything dumbledore gives harry it's a gift and a curse because He's about to leave him behind deliberately, you know? Dumbledore is, he's not unwittingly getting killed. This is his plan. So he's offering Harry sort of access to his own destiny and simultaneously saying, I'm going to let you take it from here. Which is brave of Dumbledore and really sad and also infuriating, which is basically just how I feel about Dumbledore. That's Dumbledore. That's him in a nutshell. Oh boy. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Professor Trelawney, who, I mean, she keeps drawing the lightning struck tower sort of right in this case. It's not one of her weird trance prophecies where she doesn't really have, 
where she doesn't really know what she's saying. But I mean, she might be halfway decent at tarot. She she gets it right in this case. This so. is just like more of a muggle witch art. So <laughs> maybe she just took a really good class online. Good for her. <laughs> Dumbledore completely ignores it, but Dumbledore knows it. it He's un- not ignoring her. True. He's just like, yeah, girl, I well, know. Unsettles Harry enough that I guess he doesn't actually even act on this. But no. Anyway, good for Trelawney. Yep. My unsung hero is Peeves, the poltergeist, who there's just this throwaway line that Harry doesn't meet anyone in the corridors except Peeves, who's kind of perfunctorily throwing chalk at him. And I just really admire Peeves' commitment to the game, even when he's not really in the (laughs) mood. He's just like, I'm always going to cause mayhem, even when it's very boring for me. You may rely on me for this. And I just, you know, he's always doing what he says he'll do. Uh, I like it. Yeah, that's true. Peeves is really lacking in the movies. He's, and, not, he's not in the movies. No, I know. that's a It's a real loss. Alas. Peeves is a fun little occasional interloper, and he's just reliable. Could have been Rowan Atkinson or some shit. Dude, it should have been Rowan Atkinson. Holy shit. Kind of looks we've like already he'd be Peeves. I'm sure that, we have. But We're repeating all the Quibbler jokes and tropes. But hey, it's like 70-something episodes in. Yeah, we're almost done, you guys. We're almost done. (laughs) Uh. Boy, oh boy. This week's episode is brought to you by Nightmare Fuel from the makers of Fireball. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Here is your occasional reminder that the audiobooks are extraordinary and if you are experiencing any kind of emotion that you would like to chase away with something that will be sure to make you feel better, listen to Harry Potter on audiobook. You can email us, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us across the social media platforms. Send us a DM. Tell us what you're thinking about. Somebody showed us their beautiful Luna Lovegood tattoo recently. And their sorted lists of... Swedish Prime Ministers. And Australian Prime Ministers. And Australian Prime Ministers. Actually, this is something we would love for you to send us. If, whether you're American or from a different nation, if you want to sort the Congress, if you want to support, if you want to sort all the Supreme Court justices, if you want to sort every president Nicaragua has ever had, please send us your list of sorted world leaders. We're really into it and we're rounding them up. (laughs) You can find us sort the vice presidents oh my god somebody sort the vice presidents that sounds fun Hannibal Hamlin I don't know I didn't know that was a person that was Lincoln's vice president okay what do you think he is I alliteration Hufflepuff I don't fucking know there you go anything about Hannibal Hamlin you can find us most places one find podcasts if that happens to be Apple podcasts please rate and review us subscribe anywhere that you would like etc 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 And next time, it's going to get so real, so goddamn real, we will be reading The Lightning Struck Tower and Flight of the Prince. Thanks, amigos. Please do not suggest that I do not take the safety of my students seriously, Harry. I didn't, mumbled Harry, a little abashed, but Dumbledore cut across him. I do not wish to discuss the matter any further. There was a flash of silver and a spurt of scarlet. The rock face was peppered with dark, glistening drops. Ah, that seems to have done the trick, doesn't it?